hold your place there. We're going to uh, get there in just a little bit. We spent some time last week uh, dealing with uh, the first part of uh, Revelation, chapter number 1. And uh, I, I will say this. I was reading uh, some notes from Brother Tully on Revelations, uh, or Revelation this week and, and prophecy. And um, he made this statement, and I'd never really thought of it this way before, but uh, he calls Revelation the Daniel of the New Testament. Uh, certainly I've had uh, courses, and in fact, even in college we had a course that was entitled Daniel and Revelation. The reason being they're so closely intertwined in their prophecies. Uh, and uh, so uh, it's interesting as we spent a little bit of time in the first, just the first couple verses of Revelation last week, uh, to know who the author was, uh, to know what the purpose of studying prophecy is. If we don't understand our purpose and studying prophecy, my fear is that we will come to get the knowledge of it, we'll tuck it away, say, boy, that's really neat, and it won't change us, it won't do anything uh, in our hearts that will cause us to, uh, to profit from the truth. We started off last week in First Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, and it says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All of it is profitable to us. And so uh, including uh, the topic of prophecy, it is profitable to us, but only if we allow it to. And so uh, just by way of just brief review, the purpose of studying prophecy is twofold. One is to bring great comfort. Uh, you take time to read uh, in, in John where it says, Let not your heart be troubled. Uh, you believe in God, believe also in me. And he begins to speak of going and preparing a place for us and coming again to receive us. That's to give comfort to our hearts. The Apostle Paul, uh, when he deals with the, the thoughts of um, uh, the, the uh, rapture and the, the end time events um, in, uh, to the church at Thessalonica, he ends it by saying, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And uh, we find also uh, that... Um, that in Romans uh, chapter number 15, uh, we find that there is also some, uh, some uh, illustration uh, between and, and showing us uh, very distinctly the, the distinction between God's love and grace and yet His wrath and justice on sin. And God is certainly a, a loving God and a, a long-suffering God and a gracious God. And I love preaching on those things. But there are times we also have to look at His justice. Uh, we have to also look at the fact that sin is still sin. And God still has to punish and God still has to bring some wrath upon it for those that reject His forgiveness, for those that reject His grace. That wrath is still there for them. And though He came to, to help us escape His wrath, if people won't accept it, if they won't uh, trust it, uh, then they're destined to go through that, that judgment. And by the way, God is not unjust to demand wrath on that sin. For us to say, well, that's just not good. I can't believe a loving God would do that. Uh, we got to understand, God is also just. He's not just a loving God. He is holy. He's not just a gracious God and a forgiving God. And so we need to understand this, that if you reject what He's made a way for us for, uh, then we were, we're destined to go through that wrath. I'm thankful He made a way, aren't you? That you and I don't have to go through those things. And uh, so we need to understand this. So uh, I look at prophecy, the study of prophecy, as two reasons why we do it. Number one is to give us comfort. I think that's, that's given us very clearly in Scripture. When we start seeing things go on around us, we're, we're certainly frustrated. How many of y'all are frustrated with what's going on in our society? I am. Uh, we gripe about it. We complain about it. But we're not afraid of it. 
because we understand what's going on. It's for our comfort. It also ought to be for our discomfort. And that is understanding that the time is short. And there's work to be done. There are people that are lost that need to hear. And there ought to be a, a stirring of uneasiness in us. There ought to be a, uh, some conviction of the Holy Spirit on our hearts and motivation to serve and to do all that we can to reach people with the message uh, of salvation in light of prophecy. I think if we could live with prophecy in mind, if we could live with the fact that the, the return of Christ is imminent, could happen at any time, uh, I think it would help us in being motivated to serving uh, more faithfully, more diligently. And so we talked about that. We talked about the fact that John is bearing record here, and John is the author, the, the human author, the one who penned the words of uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, of course, the Holy Spirit guided him and directed him. I mean, he is bearing witness of three things. We looked at those last week in Revelation 1.1. He's bearing witness of the Word of God. We're going to look a little bit more of that uh, as we look in Daniel tonight for a few moments. Uh, we're going to see a little bit more of how that comes into play. But um, he is going to bear witness of the Word of God, meaning the things that were already written uh, regarding the end times. He's also going to bear witness, according to verse number 1, uh, of the testimony of Jesus Christ, the things that he heard Christ himself say. John is the one who penned those words, uh, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, uh, giving testimony to what Christ had said. And so he is uh, going to bear witness of the testimony of Christ. And then thirdly, he's going to be bearing witness of the things that he had seen. So you'll understand this as we get into Revelation that an angel uh, get, comes and gives John this vision of these things that are happening. Again, up until this time, there was still revelation going on, new revelation. And God spoke often by way of prophets. Uh, and he did that sometimes audibly. Sometimes he did that uh, by personal uh, visits. And sometimes he did that by visions. Uh, once the apostles passed off the scene, we have no further revelation given. God has given us a completed revelation. And uh, uh, so we don't have apostles giving uh, new revelation now. We don't have prophets giving new revelation now. And these guys that get up and say, I've got a word from the Lord, and it's not according to Scripture, just mark it down that they had a good pizza last night, and that's what they heard from is the pizza. But it certainly wasn't from the Lord. All right? There is no further uh, revelation, new revelation, being given. Uh, I do believe that the Holy Spirit does impress upon us and move upon us within the bounds of Scripture and what the Scripture says. There are times that we get that... that uh, that desire, that impulse to share the gospel with this person or to, to help somebody in this area. But it's all within the bounds of Scripture. It's nothing new. We're not hearing, seeing visions. We're not hearing audible voices. Uh, we have that voice of the Holy, that, that nudging of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to lead us and direct us. And so I'm not discounting the moving of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but I am saying that He does not inspire new revelation like He did during the writing of Scripture. It just does not happen anymore. We gave you some rules last week. I'm not going to go back through those. If you'd like a copy of those notes, I did not make extra copies tonight, uh, but I will have those for you if you'd like for next week uh, on rules of understanding prophecy, general rules of thumb that we follow. Uh, again, we gave you, I don't know, probably 11 or so different rules uh, to follow, hermeneutical rules, uh, ways to understand uh, prophecy, and they are actually good rules to follow pretty much in understanding all of Scripture, but especially in the area of prophecy. 
And so uh, if you did not get those written down, we have it recorded from last week. Uh, or if you'd like me to copy my notes, I'll be glad to, to copy my notes. So um, let's take another look at a couple things here very quickly. Uh, Revelation is the only, Bible, uh, only book in the Bible that contains a promise of blessing. Look, uh, hold your place in Daniel 9 there for a moment. Let's go to Revelation 1, and let's take a quick look at this. Uh, Revelation 1, and uh, because it's very important what the blessing is for uh, as we get into this. And we go to verse number 3 of chapter 1, and uh, God gives this blessing. He says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that, what, hear the words of this prophecy... And I was in some seminars, and I've been in classes, and they emphasize, well, we get a blessing just from reading the Scripture uh, and reading Revelation. We get just a blessing from hearing Revelation. And there's no doubt we do get some blessing from hearing it, and we do get some blessing from reading it, but that's not what verse 3 is dealing with primarily. Notice this, and this is a continuation of the thought, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Prophecy is not a stag, uh, stag, static uh, word of, uh, uh, of, of the Bible that is just meant for us to have knowledge in. It is given to transform us inwardly. There are things about that what we'll read about and study about in Revelation that ought to bring change to our lives, uh, that we ought to be keeping. Some of those you'll find in the first three chapters as we see uh, letters written to seven different churches. Uh, there are things, an unbelievable number of things we can learn from what God had to say to these seven churches in the first three chapters uh, of Revelation. There are also numerous things as we go through and we study things throughout the end time events that will help to cause us to look at this world a little differently, that will cause us to look at the lost a little more differently. It will cause us to be diligent. Uh, over and over again, you'll hear in the book of Revelation, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Uh, and so we cannot just uh, read and hear, but we also need to keep and to do these things that we find written therein. Very important that we understand this. Revelation is also uh, the only book of Scripture that uh, at the end of it gives a curse to anybody that will add to or take away from the things of this Revelation. Now, we already mentioned the fact that John is the last of the writers uh, of uh, Scripture uh, at his age. Uh, this was the last bit of Scripture to be written. Uh, he was the last apostle living. And, uh, and so uh, he gets to the end of this book. And even though primarily he's speaking of this particular letter when he talks about uh, not adding to or taking away from, uh, I believe that because of in light of what it deals with in the subject matter, that it does apply to all of Scripture. You don't add to or take away anything from Scripture. I was talking to somebody just uh, last night, I uh, had a meeting uh, late last night, and was dealing with the issue of uh, does it matter what version of Scripture we use? Well, absolutely it does. Uh, we just said it Sunday morning in Sunday school as we dealt with this thing. Things that are different are not the same. You can't take another version of Scripture and hold it alongside my King James Bible and tell me they're the same. They're not. They are different. And they change doctrine. Uh, so we don't take things to or add, add things to or take things away from Scripture. So um, anyway, Revelation is, is a book that gives us um, uh, uh, blessings uh, from reading it. Uh, there are some things that are parallel to the book of Daniel. We're going to spend a few moments in Daniel tonight if we get that far 
and look at a couple things. There's three primary areas that uh, Daniel and Revelation both have in common. The first one is they were both written during a time of trouble and a time of persecution. Uh, If you think about the time that Daniel was written, the the children of Israel are in uh, Babylon under captivity, under Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, they're uh, going through the trials and the uh, the process of being under captivity. Uh, The time that John writes, of course, Christians are under great persecution. I mean, John himself is uh, is, uh, exiled to the Isle of Patmos uh, in his old age. He's already been boiled in oil, and they tried to kill him that way, and that didn't work. And so they exiled him uh, to the Isle of Patmos. And so both these books are written during a time of great persecution, and both of them were written for the purpose of bringing some peace to the hearts of those that were here, that would hear them, uh, that would read about them, uh, to help give some uh, some confidence, if you will, through the persecution. Um, so uh, the, the so it was given. Uh, secondly, they were both given to give encouragement, and the third one was both Daniel and Revelation were written to assure the people of God that victory would be ours uh, over our enemies, that the, one day the righteous will rule. Uh, you know, the, the psalmist over and over again in Scripture uh, used to fret about the righteous or the, the, the wicked that seemed to prosper. And he said, I, I, I was frustrated that. And he made the statement about it, talking about it one time. He said, my feet had well nigh slipped. He said, I, I almost went after that way because I was frustrated that they were prospering. And here I am as... Uh, a man trying to follow after God's own heart, uh, and I'm suffering and struggling. So God gives us these things in Scripture to help us know uh, we win in the end. We know what the end of the book says. It gives us great joy, great excitement. It helps us to have our faith strengthened, and it certainly gives us cause to persevere uh, because we know these things. The glory that is set before us uh, is not worthy to even be com- compared. Uh, there are uh, a number of churches that we're going to see letters written to, um, but I want to try to set tonight, if we can, in the next oh, 15 minutes here, I want to try to set the timing and the framework for getting into this. And so if you will, take your timeline. I printed one off because the words are kind of small up here. Um, but uh, this is a very not-to-scale timeline for sure. Uh, on the left, far left, you see the creation. Uh, and then you find that the flood comes along. And uh, then uh, shortly after that, about ten generations after the flood, you find Abraham coming on the scene. And uh, Abraham is the beginning of the Israelite nation. Uh, He's the one that God first made the covenant with. And so from the time of Abraham, as you read your Bible, and this will help you kind of understand a little bit uh, of Scripture as far as the setting and the context of it. From the time of Abraham until the time of Calvary, God is primarily dealing with the Israelites. In fact, even when Christ came to the earth, came to this earth, and was getting ready during his earthly ministry, getting ready to go to the cross, he made it. He made it very, very clear and very well known that he came to the Jews first. Uh, the Gentiles were allowed in, and I'm thankful for that. But his his first priority was to come to the Jews, and that was his heart because they are his chosen people. And let me say this: they are. Not were, they are His chosen people. There's a teaching going on out there today called replacement theology. If you want to write that term down, you might not hear that term, but you will hear the teaching sometime. And that is this, that Christ, or that God got frustrated with Israel and cut them off and made the church now the new uh, chosen people. 
to the people that are believers, those that make up the local church body of believers. That is not the case. That is not the case. And we're going to see that here in just a little bit. God is not through with Israel. God made a covenant with Israel. And so we're going to take a look at some of those things uh, very quickly. If you have your Bibles, let's look in Daniel chapter number 9. And uh, we're going to try to get through as much of this material tonight as we can. If not, we will make it a two-week um, set of uh, lessons. And uh, as hey, this is vitally important for us to get the context and the setting of, uh, of how this all came about, this, this prophecy of end-time events, and what the timing of it is. Oh, by the way, let me just make one, one corrective statement. I did this uh, on the computer, and I don't know if you can look on your paper here, this arrow should be right there at the end of that line right there. Um, I actually had those arrows put, and I had those lines put, and then I stretched the lines and forgot to move the arrow. I am not a mid-trib, mid-trib or mid-millennial, okay? Just to correct that, make sure you guys are right. That arrow goes to the end of the tribulation period, and I'll try to correct that up here for next week, but just move it over on your paper, okay? All right, let's look in Daniel chapter number 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, uh, the seed of the Medes, uh, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, notice this phrase, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Okay, so uh, follow with me for a moment here. Uh, we talked a little bit ago that John is bearing record in Revelation of several things. One is he's bearing uh, revelation, or he's bearing witness of the Word of God. That would be the things that were previously written. Daniel also does this, right? At the onset, he tells you that he understood this truth by the books that were written. Uh, he was specifically, he names Jeremiah. And we're going to take a look at that. And what he reads about and what he understands is that God is going to have them under Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Now, Israel is on and off throughout all of this Old Testament time, from this point to this point. All through that time, Israel is in and out of captivity and, and always being uh, judged and punished for their unfaithfulness to God. They come out of it. They have revival. They recommit to God. They say, God, yes, we're going to live by our covenant with you. And sure enough, they, they fail. <coughs> by the way, just like you and I do today, they fail. And it uh, doesn't excuse their failure, but it, it does happen. And uh, they, then they get right with God and, and that sort of thing. Again, what had happened was for 490 years, uh, Israel had decided that they were not going to follow God's teaching or God's, um, uh, God's timing of um, uh, having what's called the Sabbath Year In the book of Leviticus, we're not going to take time to turn to it tonight for sake of time, but I'll probably pull it up next week and show it to you. Uh, in the book of Leviticus, God said that every seven years you're supposed to have a Sabbath year. The land is to rest. Um, there was supposed to be uh, every, I think it was every seven of those seven years, there was supposed to be what was called the year of Jubilee. It was the 50th year. There would be 49 years, uh, a Sabbath year on each year. And then on the 50th year, which is known as the year of Jubilee, that also was a year of rest, and it was the first part of the next seven years. They had for 490 years forsaken uh, the, uh, the, the Sabbath, 
year. They had continued to work the land against what God had told them to do. Not to mention the Jubilee years, they did not let the land rest either. If you take the time to figure it out, uh, it came up to 70 years that they were supposed to let the land rest. And God makes no bones about it. And Jeremiah speaks of this, and we're going to look at it here in just a moment, uh, that God is doing this specifically, and he, he does it for 70 years to show the nation of Israel that, hey, I'm serious about this thing. Y'all need to understand this. Turn with me, if you will. Hold your place in Daniel 9. We're going to be right back there. But uh, go ahead and let's turn back to Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah chapter number 25. And let's look at this because uh, we need to understand why Israel is going through what they're going through. All right? So Jeremiah chapter 25, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year, notice this, of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now there were four great world empires that we spoke about. One of them was the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar. Under Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Jerusalem was sieged three different times. He comes. Uh, the first time he hauls away a bunch of people captive. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in that group. And uh, then uh, he comes back again a number of years later and, uh, and uh, burns the walls of the city, destroys it, and then later on comes back and finishes the job, destroys the temple. And, uh, and puts them under tribute. And uh, that's how Daniel ended up in Babylon. That's where all the book of Daniel is written. In fact, Daniel chapter 4, I think it is, is written by King Nebuchadnezzar. I think we will see King Nebuchadnezzar in heaven one of these days. I'll tell you, there's two reasons why. One of them is God calls him his servant. And the second reason is we find in chapter, I think it's chapter number 4, that God used him to write a portion of Scripture. And that is a very interesting thing to me, that God would use that. Uh, I believe there was a appointed time in Nebuchadnezzar's life where he acknowledged that God was the one true God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and humbled himself before him. And uh, so we find that this Nebuchadnezzar, verse number 2, which Jeremiah the prophet spake unto the people of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even unto this day, that is, the three and twentieth year, the word of the Lord hath Come unto me, and I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking. But ye have not hearkened, and the Lord hath sent unto you all his servants and prophets, rising early and sending them, but ye have not hearkened, nor inclined your ear to hear. They said, Turn ye again, and now every one of you from his evil way and from the evil of your doings, and dwell in the land that the Lord hath given unto you and your fathers forever and ever, and go not after other gods or to serve them, or to worship them, and provoke me not to anger with the works of your hands, and I will do you no hurt. Yet ye have not hearkened unto me, saith the Lord, that ye might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, because ye have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof, against all these nations round about, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and a hissing and perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the candle. And this whole land shall be desolate and astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy Years And so Jeremiah speaks of this. Uh, turn over to Jeremiah chapter 29. 
Again, just because the nation of Israel was stiff-necked and rebellious and would not hear the word of the Lord. Now, these are the words uh, of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away, captives, and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. So this now is at least a little bit later where Nebuchadnezzar has already done this at, at, at some point. And uh, go on down and see, see verse number 4. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon, build ye houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat fruit of them, take ye wives and beget sons and daughters and beget wives for your sons, <coughs> and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye be not increased there and not diminished, uh, that ye may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for in it, uh, uh, for it, for in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. Now I'm going to stop there for a moment and say this: What God is telling him is, uh, this isn't going to be a brief amount of time. You're in Babylon. Go ahead and go ahead and get settled in. You're going to be here a while. And that's what He's telling him there, in the first part of this chapter, verse eight. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel: Let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you, deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which ye shall uh, ye cause to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. He's saying, look, seventy years. You, you, you abandoned these seventy years of rest, uh, you've not hearkened to my prophets when they said turn back. You're here for 70 years. Go ahead and get settled in. But when 70 years is up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to you. I'm going to visit you again. We're going to restore all this thing. And uh, so for 70 years, they're under captivity in Babylon. And uh, <clears throat> there were some, some prophets, so-called, some men that stood up and said uh, they were prophesying that this is just going to be a brief amount of time, that God's going to deliver us. And God came by Jeremiah and said, don't you listen to him. Y'all are here for a while. Get settled in. Seventy years. After 70 years, uh, Nehemiah gets to go back to Jerusalem. We just got done studying Nehemiah. And uh, he goes back to Jerusalem and is able to uh, restore the city. Now, uh, Nehemiah and Artaxerxes the king, and the order from Artaxerxes the king, comes in 444 B.C. It's a very important date to know. If you, if you want to, you can write that down. But the, uh, there, there are plenty of records. There's plenty of validity in that date uh, that Artaxerxes, depending on which calendar you're going by, uh, if you go by the Hebrew calendar, I think it was 445. But even by doing that, the math still works out. So, uh, but going by the regular calendar, which would have been used at that time, uh, it was 444 B.C. that uh, the order went out by Artaxerxes <coughs> for Nehemiah to go back and to restore. Now let's go back to Daniel chapter 9 for a moment. And um, I, if you all bear with me, we'll be probably 10 minutes after 8 tonight or so right in that area if you can bear with me because I, I, I think it's critical that once we're this far into this subject, we need to get to the end of it. So... Let's look in Daniel chapter 9. Let's go down to verse number uh, 20. Let's go down to verse, uh, oh, let's see here. 
I'm just going to try to help you with something. We're going to read a couple verses early on. Let's look in verse 3, and then we're going to jump down a little bit further. And I, uh, because he understood the number of years in verse 2, he set his face, verse number 3, and he says, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to keep his commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity. So Daniel confesses some things, and uh, he asks the Lord um, as we get down to, uh, let's see here. Let's go down to verse number 16 for a moment. You'll, you can read all, the, all those verses in between. It's him dealing with his confession. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, before, because for our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now, therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications. Cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes, and behold our desolations in the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not. For thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sins, the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment went forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Now, we're getting ready to read what the vision is that Gabriel's going to give him. This is very important that we do not confuse what's getting ready to be said with the 70 years of Babylonian captivity. Okay? Daniel understands there's going to be 70 years of captivity. He comes to God and he's pleading with God. He's supplicating. He's, he's asking on behalf of the, the children of Israel, he's asking on behalf of even the testimony of God that God go ahead and restore at that time. And God sends him this vision so that he could know and understand why God was doing what he was doing. And so he begins this vision in verse number 24 as he sees Gabriel. Gabriel tells him, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression to make an end of sins. By the way, there's a whole list here. You, you need to understand these. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the Most Holy. So he's, he's saying, look, there's 70 weeks that are, going to, that are going to cause all this to happen. In this period of 70 prophetic weeks... Uh, you're going to see all of these things happen. You're going to see an end of sin in this time period. You're going to see reconciliation for iniquity, which we've seen in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ at this point. We're going to see everlasting righteousness. Well, we're longing for those days, aren't we? We're going to see um, uh, the, uh, the most holy anointed. We're going to see those things in these 70 weeks of prophecy. 
Now, therefore, understand that from the going forth of the commandment, notice this, to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. Okay? Threescore would be three times twenty. That's what? Sixty. And two would be sixty-two weeks. And then plus the seven, that would be sixty-nine of the seventy weeks. So the angel tells Daniel, from the time that the, the order is given to go back and to build Jerusalem, this is 444 B.C., from that time until, the notice he uses this phrase here, until the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks, three score and two weeks, there are people that have done by the calendars that were in existence the dates, the specific days that were mentioned here, and they did the Passover times of the time of Christ and the week that Christ came riding into Jerusalem on the donkey where they were praising and saying Hosanna to God uh, and uh, praising Him as the Prince, as the Messiah. The exact number of years between the time that uh, Artaxerxes made that uh, decree and Christ came riding into the streets of Jerusalem was 483 years to the day. Pretty precise. Pretty amazing. You say, why, why 483 years? Because there's only 69 weeks so far. There are 69 prophetic weeks, and you've got to understand that in this case, and, and understanding what is going on here, and, and again, we'll take some time to look at this in Leviticus next week, but the 69 weeks were actually weeks of years. So 69 weeks of seven years. So if you take 69 times seven years, you get 483 years. So from this point here, somewhere in this area, where Artaxerxes would have given the command, I guess it would have been right here where Nehemiah is, from here to Calvary was exactly 483 years to the day 69 prophetic weeks, 69 sets of seven years. And then everything stopped. God quit dealing with Israel because Israel rejected Him. Now, it did not mean that He cut them off. They are still His chosen people. God made a covenant with His children that He was going to do all of these things in 70 weeks. That's what it says in verse 24. In 70 weeks, all this stuff is going to happen, and this was written to the Jews. He says, in 70 weeks, all this is going to happen. At the end of 69 weeks, the children of Israel rejected their Messiah, which God in His foreknowledge, I think, knew, obviously. And He puts the brakes on and He pauses prophecy for the next 2,000 plus years now. And during this time, he's no longer dealing with Israel, but now he's grafted in the local church, those New Testament body of believers, groups of folks. And God deals with the church. That's what the New Testament primarily has dealt with, especially as you get into the Pauline epistles. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. And so you find him dealing with that. There's one week left to go, one more week, one more set of seven years to go. Where are those at? 
Well, we find those happening right here during the tribulation period. One more prophetic week that is given here. Now, all of these things that you found in verse number 24, to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the Most Holy, all of those things happen from here to here and from here to here. But they're not happening in here. We, well, I, I can't say it. So, some of them are still happening in there. The, 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 um, uh, the, uh, make, uh, the uh, finishing, uh, excuse me, the reconciliation for iniquity obviously was done at Calvary. <clears throat> so we find that that took place there at Calvary. But notice that God stops dealing with Israel right here. Now, Paul writes, there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord overall. He doesn't specify them as his children and deal with them specifically now in the New Testament time period, but he's going to. There's going to come another time period where God is going to be all about Israel. And so when he stops dealing with Israel, the church comes on the scene. God begins to work and deal with the church. And we, for a period of time now, have had the great joy of being grafted in and given an opportunity to be a part of the gospel. But when God begins to work with Israel again in these seven years, the church is going to be gone. The church is out of here. And he's now going to be dealing with uh, the Jews again. So the next thing on the prophetic set of things to happen, and we'll look a little further at this next week. Again, this is just to give you a high-level overview of the timeline, uh, why things are the way they are, where they're set, and when things are going to happen. Um, right now, we're right here. And the only thing we're waiting on is this rapture right here. For the Lord to come back, to call us home, the church will be gone. You'll find the church mentioned, the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. But when the tribulation begins in chapter number 4, and the, the seals begin to be opened, the church, you don't see it anymore. It's not there. You won't find it anywhere in Revelation once the tribulation begins. Uh, I believe that there are already things in place. And we'll take a look. I'll, I'll bring slides of some of the things and show some of the things to you. Uh, that these writers, Daniel, Jeremiah... Ezekiel in some cases, uh, John, they saw them and they did the best they could to write and describe what they were seeing because they they'd never seen anything like that before. But they exist today. They're, they're now in existence. We would look at them and say, well, that's what that is. It makes sense now. And they were probably puzzled by some of that. There are still some things that we read that we say, I don't understand that. I don't see it yet. But it's going to happen. It's going to come, come, come into being in this time period. There are some beasts that are spoken of in Revelation that are going to come out of the earth. They're going to torment men, and there's a description given of them. And you say, what is that a symbol of? It's a symbol of beasts coming out of the earth and tormenting men. It's not, not something super spiritual. I believe that Satan knows... Well, I don't believe. I know that Satan knows this. He can read the Bible as easily as you and I can. He knows what Revelation says. 
He knows it probably better than you and I do. You start looking at in the in the last 30 years of things that have been done through entertainment and media. Look at movies that are coming out of beasts, witchcraft, vampires, things that are. We look at you know zombie people that uh, that are dead but not dead. Revelation talks about that. There's a period of time where men are going to seek death and not be able to find it. You say, well, that's going to be gross to see these people that have tried to kill themselves walking around not able to die. Well, sure it is. And Satan is already causing people to get desensitized enough to it that when these things happen, it probably won't even really surprise them. Oh, it may be unique in that they've never seen it in real life before. But I don't think they're going to be surprised. Satan is a master of deceit. He's already begun to delude the minds of people in our world. And he is setting up the time. He's waiting and and expecting the return of the Lord probably more so than you and I are. He probably is looking at the things happening and saying that his return is close. Probably more than you and I are. Satan knows his time is limited. Um, we're going to pick up there next week. I apologize for taking a little bit too long uh, tonight. But it's important to understand that, that there was a specific time frame given. This is an interesting thing to me. Daniel was given this vision by Gabriel. I don't, I don't believe that all of the prophets fully understood all of the prophecies they were given. I think that Daniel understood this one in that the angel said he came to give him understanding and knowledge of it. I don't know that all the prophets understood fully what the prophecies were that they were giving, but they, they knew that the prophecies were true. And the thing that amazes me is 483 years to the day before uh, Christ rode into Jerusalem as the Prince, the Messiah. Daniel saw that hundreds of years before that event even happened. And it wasn't Daniel (laughs) that said, this is how long it's going to be. It was an angel from heaven that gave it to Daniel. One of the great evidences, not that we need evidence that the Bible is true, the chances of one prophecy coming true are astronomical. The chances of every prophecy given in Scripture coming true impossible unless they're from God. It gives me great confidence in this book. Not that I need it. It tells me already it's God's Word. That's really all I need. But isn't it nice that it just kind of helps support it too with us and helps us to understand these things? Uh, I'm looking forward to next week. Uh, We're going to look in the uh, Letters to the Seven Churches. And then we're going to deal with the rapture. We're going to take one, one week and start on the rapture. You won't find the word rapture in Scripture, but you will find it taught. It is in there. And uh, we will look at those, those passages and look for them, okay? So uh, hang in there. I've read the end of the book. We win. No sense in fretting. No sense in worrying. It's for our comfort. But it really ought to be used to motivate us. 
We've got a great work to do in a short time to do it. So don't try not to miss on Wednesday nights. We'll try to be brief. We'll try to be clear with these things. And I'll try to make my notes available to you if you need some of them. Uh, we'll be glad to do that. Feel free to bring a notebook, take notes. You're more than welcome to do that. You're not going to hurt my feelings if you do that. Okay? All right, let's be dismissed. Father, we're thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it. Lord, as we begin this study, Lord, just already I'm excited about some of the things that I know are yet to come, things that we look to. And yet, Lord, our hearts are also heavy, knowing that there are many, many of our friends, many people that we're acquainted with that we know that have not trusted you as their Savior. They don't know if they were denied today that they'd go to heaven. Lord, we certainly dread for them. Our hearts hurt for them. As we understand and know that unless they get that matter settled, they're going to go through these things. I pray that you would help us to be diligent, to love and to share the gospel with them. To have enough compassion and burden for them to want to see them understand and know your word be drawn to you. Dismiss us now with your blessings and Lord help us this week to look for opportunities to share the gospel with someone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.